You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe because if you subscribe, you won't miss any episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And speaking of Mondays, 4 p.m. every Monday, live stream, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Subscribe anywhere and everywhere. Or I guess, what is it on Facebook? Like the page or whatever it might be. And you can watch the live streams at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the little notification bell thing. And uh, and we'll hang out every Monday. And then the post-game and halftime show with me and Jonathan Crompton during football games. At Charlie underscore Burris. That's Act TNT at A to Z Sports. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. And A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write about Tennessee. And let's get to it. The Tennessee Volunteers went to Columbia, South Carolina over the weekend. In a game where I watched a lot of actual commentary from South Carolina media leading up to kind of be like, are they saying the same stuff that we're saying? Because Zach and I kind of left that show last week and we were like, I don't think that we said enough nice stuff about South Carolina. Like they're, they just didn't have a lot of redeeming qualities. And I went and I watched South Carolina media. And they said the same exact stuff. They were like, honestly, I hope that this team doesn't lose by like 40. Because that would be bad. Maybe keep it to like 20. And that was largely the take. And Tennessee went out there and laid the biggest freaking goose egg I have ever seen. I, that was the most unbelievable. Well, specifically the defense. The offense was decent. We're going to talk about it all. But I mean... What was it? Nine touchdowns in 10 drives. One stop in the entire game by Tennessee's defense. I guess in a technical sense, three, but two of them were the end of the first half and the end of the game. I mean, time played better defense than Tennessee's defense. It was an embarrassment. It was a shame to the University of Tennessee. All of those players just got dragged all over the field by a team that is led by a quarterback that had eight touchdowns in the entire season through the air. And he threw six in one game against this defense. 
Uh-huh. As I said, we're going to talk about it all. Zach Reagan, me. What's in? I'm still trying to process exactly what happened Saturday. It was almost like just being stunned. I mean, it it, it took me right back to that 2016 South Carolina game, except this one cool. was uh, this one was a little worse because in 2016, I think we all kind of knew even after they had beat Florida and Georgia that that Butch wasn't going to be the guy. I mean, that confirmed it, but we kind of had our suspicions about him after blowing so many games they should have won in 2014 and 2015. So it wasn't it was shocking, but it wasn't as shocking as this. This, you, I mean, you got a national championship on the line. The team's been playing great. They've had one loss to the best team in the country uh, where they didn't play their best and still only lost by 14. And to go out and do that in Columbia was it was rough. It was rough to watch. Uh, like you said, Spencer Rattler hasn't played well all year, and it was like he was out there playing against air because the DBs were nowhere close to South Carolina's wide receivers on most of their receptions. And Tackling was poor. I mean, it was a lot. We'll get into all of it. But it's, uh, yeah, 48 hours later, almost 48 hours later, it's still uh, still hard to, to comprehend exactly what went wrong down there. It literally didn't make sense because South Carolina hasn't, specifically on offense, hasn't played that way in one game this year in at all. Spencer Radler has been largely bad i mean he hasn't been good at all for the most part eight touchdowns in the entire season eight touchdowns nine interceptions coming into this game and he threw six touchdowns is this real it didn't make sense i mean a 22 point favor for tennessee coming in and they lose by 25 i mean the what happened there i mean i i said it to you before we got on here zach what happened there for south carolina was a miracle like they came out and put on a miraculous performance. And I I don't know if it was Tennessee's defense being that bad or South Carolina having a magical game plan. I'll give it to Beamer. He's a goofy mofo. Dances on TikTok videos, and he's just generally kind of weird. He's got a lot of the, the butchisms. But he drew it up, and he threw it all over Tennessee. And, and Radler played out of his mind. Again, miraculous performance from Radler. The best game I think he's ever played in his entire career. Played against Tennessee. Of course he played against Tennessee. It was genuinely unbelievable. Like, that's an overused word. Genuinely unbelievable. It was hard to believe. Completely. I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly how to break that down. But I don't think that you can get away from that factor of it. Like, South Carolina on that offense has been atrocious and they came out and put up 63 points. They, they had, they had scored five in, in five games. They'd scored over 30 points, five games all season out of 10 That's half, but three of those were against joke competition. Vandy, which is the worst defense in the sec. We're going to talk about them in a minute. Um, and then the two, two uh, crappy non-cons that they played it was the, Three of those five were against Joe competition. So they've scored 30 points against a team with a pulse twice all season. And they scored 63 on you. 63? I. It's hard to know where to start because at every level they were completely embarrassed. But I think the real, the real breakdown is coaching, players, a good amount of both. What was it? What happened here? 
And I think I, I haven't gotten a straight answer yet out of all the stuff I've watched. I know. I, I think it's just a culmination of, of a lot of different things. Certainly, it it seems as though there was, uh, you know, you got the Jeremy Bates stuff, which we're going to get into. Uh, you've got just the fact that Columbia is a weird place to play at night. South Carolina had a really good game plan uh, with all the you know, criticisms that Satterfield, their offensive coordinator, had taken this week. It's it's like they came out and they were running some trick plays, just some stuff that Tennessee hadn't seen before. And they pretty much had Tennessee on their heels all night. And once Tennessee was playing catch-up and pressing, it was just after it was 35-31 and they weren't able to stop South Carolina to, and, and they made it 42-31, at that point, I, I pretty much knew the game was over. I thought when it was 35-31, okay, Tennessee's going to come back. They're going to figure this out. They're going to shut this – this offense from South Carolina that suddenly can't be stopped. They're going to shut it down in the second half. They'll make the adjustments. And once they gave up that, that drive, I mean, I knew it was done. I had hope, of course. I think everybody did, but I think everybody inside saw the way that game was going. It was like, no, this it's just not happening tonight. You had a, a little bit of a door open there at what? 30, 35, 31, right? And you kind of thought like, all right, if the defense can get a stop here, the game could flip. And the defense Mm -hmm. obviously did not. South Carolina came back with a back-breaking drive. Total embarrassment. Um, Adam says Vandy is not the worst. They absolutely are. They're dead last in the SEC by a pretty large margin in scoring and total defense, by the way, just so you know, Adam. Um, Even even though they beat Florida and Kentucky both, that's still the case. Um, I just looked, actually. So... Uh, was, yeah, what was it? Because I, I think even somebody want to get into some of these comments while we're talking about this. Uh, like CJ says, we couldn't get pressure and still continued to sin just four, not five to seven. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Tim Banks was at a total loss in this game because South Carolina, yeah, they came to their two top running backs were out. Me and Crobson were talking about that and like, it almost worked to their advantage because they had to dig deep and make these adjustments where they were playing like a tight end at running back and doing all this wildcat and running trick plays and doing all of this desperate stuff, which should, which should throw you through a loop for like a couple of drives. You should be like, all right, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just got to orient. We got to orient and then we'll get it together. And Tennessee had nothing for the entire game. Again, uh, nine touchdowns and 10 drives. It, it was, a complete affront to anything remotely resembling good defense in football. Um, and, I, and I don't know as far as Banks, what he was doing, because it, it felt like to me, you know, if somebody was giving you convinc- a conventional breakdown of that, they would be like, well, he was sending everybody back into coverage because they were getting hit over the top. But you go, they're going to hit you over the top no matter what. The, the DBs are slow. They were slow on the edge. They were slow in man-to-man coverage. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't keep up in any way. So come after the quarterback. That I mean, obviously, that's a difference of opinion. That's going to be subjective to, to different people looking at it different ways. But that's just how I felt. Like, they've had way more success this season doing that than they've had in this kind of like, bend but don't break, back down into coverage, let them get past midfield, and then get a little more serious about it kind of thing that Tim Banks has done. I mean, at a certain point, I was like, why don't they just send the house every time and t- make sure this kid can't get the ball off? Because you're not getting home with four. You weren't getting home with five a lot of the time. Uh, that It was actually that tight end running back was doing a pretty decent job blocking. 
and and I I I was just like, you gotta you gotta do something that's out of the box thinking here a little bit. Like go balls to the wall, pin your ears back, and just see if you can get to this kid because he is he's a little bit of a statue back there, and he had all day to just think about every throw he made, and it it was just painful as hell. So watch that absolute meltdown that happened from the very beginning. I mean, it didn't, you didn't have any moment that was good in that game. Not a single, I mean, that, that one stop, but that was of total, you know, aberration that was not indicative of anything that really happened in that game. And I, I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but good Lord, man. All right. Well, I got so mad about the defense that I forgot to do the, uh, the read for our amazing sponsor, Superbook Sports. We got to talk about him really quick. Can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms. No guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com. And start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. They keep this show going, so help them out because they're helping out the boys here. Um, Clearly, they, along with every other betting service on planet Earth, was extremely wrong about Tennessee in that one. Uh, (laughs) And I, I mean, again, to the point of like, this was a miracle performance from South Carolina. And I think an honest... Any honest South Carolina pundit, you know, someone who's not just a complete biased fan, would tell you the same. This was an outlier in a way that's hard to almost wrap your brain around. It was completely insane. I mean, we had uh, a South Carolina media people coming at us on Twitter, and it felt like, I mean, last week, really coming at us hard for no reason. And Coming at the company, re- not at Tennessee. Yeah, they were coming at, at like yeah. A to Z Sports. And it felt like it was just frustration because they knew that they were going to get beat. And like you mentioned earlier, they were just conceding the game. And they were like, look, we know y'all are going to beat us, but you don't have to be jerks and all this stuff. And uh, I mean, that that alone right there tells you how much confidence they had going into this game. But I think the biggest thing that Tennessee fans coming out of this game is the concern of, okay, is this 2016 all over again? Are there these major issues in the locker room that led to this loss? And I think that's that's where people are today. And part of that's because there's so little information out there about what went wrong off the field and then an explanation for what went wrong on the field. Ultimately, I think it's a combination of all that stuff. I think, like I said last week, going into Columbia at night, it's always a weird game. Tennessee's only won there twice since 2006. In 2014, took a miracle of their own to, to win that game down 14 with, what, like two minutes to go in overtime and then 2020 a COVID year it was a day game 19,000 fans at Williams Bryce it wasn't the same experience so it's always been a tough place for Tennessee to play so I think that's one factor I think not having Jeremy Banks there it's kind of like when you didn't have Daniel Batuli in uh, 2019 for the Georgia State game or a couple times during the Butch Jones era when Darren Kirkland was out and they didn't have that guy kind of running the defense. It's more important. You should be able to overcome that. That's no excuse to give up 63 points. It's no excuse to lose to South Carolina, even on the road. But it was a factor. I mean, Jeremy Banks is the guy that's kind of getting guys lined up. He's an energetic guy. And we spent a lot of the year praising him for playing more controlled. 
So to find out that some of this stuff was going on off the field where he's kind of been having some issues throughout the season, unspecified, it was a bit surprising. And it sounds like it was just a cumulative uh, effect that, that all this stuff has happened and it's just added up, not major stuff, but it keeps adding up. And the coaching staff felt like they had to do something and tell him not to play. Yeah, and, so and, and to build your culture, that that that's something you have to do sometimes, even if it's a tough decision to make and it might cost you a game, but you got to think about what it does long term. What are you willing to let slide? Because I think that's what happened during the Butch Jones era is it started off pretty good and then stuff started sliding. Kids weren't working out. They weren't going to class the way they were supposed to be. There wasn't accountability and it just snowballs from there. And once that happens, you can't rein it back in until a new staff comes in. Like you cannot put the genie yeah. back in the bottle and I think that's what Hypel and them were trying to prevent. I mean, that's my speculation as far as their mindset with, with any decision that was made. But and I and I get that. I think that's that that's happens at a lot of places, and a lot of times you don't even hear about it. And like we were talking about before we came on the show, anybody that's it's not even just played on a team that's had a group of friends that's really close knit. Like you have disagreements, you have things that happen. If Jeremy Banks and Hinden Hooker got into it, which Josh Heupel would not comment on today, he was directly asked if Jeremy Banks got into it with a teammate, and he just kind of dodged the question, which was probably the right thing to do. He didn't lie about it, but he also didn't uh, didn't put a lot of information out there either, protecting his players. Uh, I, but but that stuff happens, right? I mean, I'm sure you've yeah. had inc- incidents like that. I actually love the way that Josh Heupel handled that question today. I don't know about the handling of everything internally because we don't really know exactly what happened. We're all just kind of piecing together. Whoa. Oh. You got so excited you about uh knocked it all uh knocked it all <laughs> off there. <laughs> did I come did I come undone? Nah, I still hear you. You're you're there. Oh, I so you can see me right now. Yeah. Where? I can't. I can't find. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Well, so, as you figure that out, and we're there, we're it is. About I got it. I got it. Well, my computer fell down uh, off of the stand. You talking <laughs> about the way that you like the way Josh Heupel handled this? Yes. Okay. So uh, recruit recruits. Before you go into that, recruits like sure. that too, and I know that's what people probably think about. And, and Nico, you know, follows me on Twitter, and I was looking. He's, he's liked several replies to tweets uh, from the tweet that showed Josh Heupel's response. People have talked about glad he didn't pull a Butch Jones and say he fell on a exactly. helmet. Glad that he yes. kept it in the locker room. And Nico's going through liking all those tweets. So if you're complaining about the way Heupel's handled it, look, your five-star quarterback that's coming in here liked the way he handled it. I, I think Heupel handled it well because, yeah, what, what he could have gone and done was the fell on a helmet. He, he could have had, uh, when, when Shy Tuttle, whatever happened there, you know, happened, he got a black eye, and Butch Jones, he fell on a helmet. And that's the truth. And, you know, we all knew that wasn't the truth. It's ridiculous. And Heupel just goes, and see, he really does just say nothing. I mean, he, he uh, I forget exactly what it was, but he said, you know, he, he just wasn't, wasn't available. available. Yeah. He wasn't available. That's that's what he said. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I'm good I, with that. I don't, I don't need to know, I to, but to piece it together, um, this is all complete hearsay. This comes from reports from reporters, reports from message boards, reports from, I honestly, I think a bunch got of a people friend that knows somebody on the team exactly. and, and a lot of just nonsense too. Yeah. The, the versions range from, there was a fist fight between Jeremy Banks and Hinn and Hooker and Joe Milton stepped in and separated them all the way to, 
there was just some some yelling and they got into it a little bit and then they backed off and that was the end of it. The other element in this is what you said is where Jeremy Banks was not taking care of stuff off the field, coming late to things, not showing up, uh, you know, on time and and other, you know, blowing things off that he needed to go to. Uh, and it was a cumulative effect and maybe there was this altercation and that was the thing that broke the camel's back or maybe there was no altercation at all and it was just the off the field stuff. Again, we're piecing it all together. I mean, all, all of that, even from, from us and everybody else, anyone who's talked about it is like, here's what I think happened. And it, believe what you want to believe there. He got suspended. And believe whether you think it was justified. I mean, I kind of said, I, t- I texted Zach, and I'll be, I'll be honest, this is this is off the, off the record stuff that I texted Zach, but I'm willing to talk about it here. I mean, I was basically like, that's a gutsy move by Heibel. Banks better have done something serious. For you to take out essentially the emotional leader of your defense in the biggest game of your entire career, that's a gutsy, gutsy move, boy, that he would do something like that. Because I, I think you saw on that defense, he he's huge in blitzes. He's he's a big part of that. He's probably the most aggressive guy that you have out there. Um, beyond that, he doesn't get the most sacks, but he's the most aggressive. Um, he also is just a absolute leader on your defense and an energy guy, and he brings that heat, and they take him out. I, I'm confident in saying if he plays in that game, Tennessee probably still loses, but I think South Carolina, I, you could almost take at least a touchdown off the board, I think, the defense that he that he would make. Uh, or, uh, sorry, the difference that he would make, not the defense that he would make, the difference that he would make in that game. Personally, I, I think that. I think he would have made some play that didn't get made. I think he would have had, you know, he maybe would have been on the sideline getting guys by the collar and being like, what the hell are you doing out there? You know, and and maybe that's the difference. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of said, like, it better have been serious, boy. Whatever whatever happened, because for you to have to, like, make an example of this kid and let him sit out because of whatever might have happened, I, I, I'm not wishing that he did something serious, but it better have been really needed, really necessary, because I think it really hurt this defense. Just my personal take on it. I'm with you. I think they still lose that game, even if Jeremy Banks plays, because the 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 scheme, the approach, it was bad. And I've spent a lot of time this year defending Tim Banks because I've understood that he doesn't have as much to work with. But that's when you're playing Alabama. That's when you're playing Georgia. That's when you're playing even Florida to some extent with their talent. LSU, very talented team. You go play South Carolina, a team that. Even with the players that Tennessee lost two years ago, you've replaced some of that through the portal. You're you're close to where you need to be scholarship-wise. Tennessee's talent is better than South Carolina's, or it's at least equal at worst. Uh, so you you have the guys that should be able to play with South Carolina. I mean, this is a team that scored six points against Florida. You, you, you got the guys to play. And Banks never really adjusted. I mean, Tim Banks, never. he never really adjusted. They're, they're playing far off. The corners. I mean, one one play in particular, it was like third and seven, third and six. Kamal Haddon, who look, I, I'm I'm not doing a bad mouth Kamal Haddon, but the way that he played uh, on Saturday night did not match up with the level of trash talk that he had out there on the field. Because every time he got beat, every time he made a tackle, even though the play had resulted in a first down, he was immediately in the wide receiver's face, and 
He wasn't rattling them. If anything, they were laughing at him because they were burning him and the rest of the defense all night long. But there was one play on like third and six where Kamal Haddon's four yards beyond the chains. And the receiver's just sitting there at the marker, makes the catch, easy first down. And that, that I think that was the drive where if they would have stopped them, maybe they had a chance to come back and take a lead. And it's just calls like that where you know you have to stop them. You you can't let you can't play that soft. I mean, you're that scared of getting beat over the top. I mean, you shouldn't be playing in this in this game if you're that scared. If you don't think your guys can hang with them for a few plays over the top. I mean, he never. He never shot away from that, and it just let them have whatever they wanted underneath all night long. And then they they weren't making good tackles. They're getting yards after the catch. South Carolina tackled so much better. They blocked better on the perimeter. A lot of those plays happened because their wide receivers were out on the perimeter aggressively blocking. They might have got away with a few holds. I don't know, but they were out there doing all they could to keep you know to give their guys some room to make a play, and it worked. So I think the the blame for most of this loss has to fall on Tim Banks. Uh, it feels pretty obvious, but I, I don't see anywhere else you go. The offense pretty much did their job. They could have played better. Hendon Hooker could have played better. He could have completed a few more passes. He was not as crisp as he has been. He really hasn't been since that Georgia game. But it really falls on Tim Banks. And, I mean, where you go from there in the offseason, if a change is made, I don't know. I mean, that that's something we might be talking about here in a couple of weeks. I think we when you talk about the the offense compared to the defense there, that's about how I probably expected the offense to play in that game. That's a tough environment. Yeah, South South Carolina was loud, and then and they handled it better than the Georgia game. You didn't see yeah. a ton of false starts. I mean, you saw some self inflicted penalties, but that was a holding was most of them. Yeah. The offensive holding. They 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 played about how I probably would have expect. I would have expected forty to fifty points. And they they scored thirty eight. I mean that's it wasn't way off. And I think if you played better defense, they would have had plenty, probably three or four more opportunities to score in that game, and probably would have capitalized on a couple of them. So 40, 40 50 points. I've got offense. I, that's not where I I go in this one at all. Thirty eight points, and even and one of those touchdowns was from a backup. Even like come on, and so you know it all falls on Banks. You do have to talk about is is this the I don't want to say the end for Tim Banks. He's going to coach in the Vandy game, and that's you know he's not getting fired this week. No, but we did want to bring this up just because it's a little bit of self promotion that we can do. But also, I think it's a great point from somebody that we talked to on this podcast. So we had Josh Pate on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was awesome. And uh, you asked him. Zach, you said, does Hypel have the setup here to turn this into a Georgia style situation with Kirby? You know, where he's putting the building blocks in place for this to be a powerhouse going forward. You asked him that. And and I want to play his response here and then talk about what might happen in the offseason in light of this horrendous performance from Tim Banks. Um, this is like two minutes, but uh, we'll just play it here, and then we'll we'll talk about what Josh Pate said. You fans are hoping. Yes, yes, I do. Um, and it's because it's because the buy-in has started to happen. A lot of these guys, Saban, for example, did not have to sell people that he could win when he got to Alabama. Everyone knew he could win. 
Kirby, even though he was coming there as a first-time head coach, he kind of got benefit of the doubt from being under Saban that I know the blueprint. And that's why I came into Georgia and got so many yeses really, really quickly when it came to what they needed. I mean, I'm down there last week. I'm standing in their indoor facility, and they say, you know, we only just got this thing a few years ago. It Previously, there had been so much pushback because the, that place didn't really want to do what it took to win. They wanted to win on Saturday. Everybody wants to win on Saturday. But the Sunday through Friday, they drug their feet on some stuff that Nick Saban would laugh at. Well, Kirby got it done over there because people didn't doubt his his pedigree and therefore his vision. Josh Heupel, I think, had to sell a few more people when he got to Tennessee because he came in there from Central Florida, and it's not like they were going 12-0 every year down there. I mean, they were operating at a level that was pretty good, but he wasn't coming in and without the ability to be questioned, in other words. Well, now I think he's gotten that vision across. And it can tell everyone and can put proof of product in their face and say, look, if we do it my way, here's what happens. That is what you need administratively. Then he has to start assessing his staff because here's the fact, and I'm not talking about any one guy in particular, but here's the fact. Josh Heupel will be able to get yeses from some coaching candidates this cycle that he would not have got yeses from last cycle because some guys out there were probably on the fence that now will be in the yes column. I don't know how many moves he wants to make or if he wants to make any moves, but that's that's in play now. And- so that's that last point is the one that we really wanted to hit on here. Uh, so Pate is basically like, you've done enough this season to where you can go out and stack a more elite staff. And Banks isn't getting it done. And, and you know, like Eric makes this point here is like, so I don't think... You blame Tim Banks. He can't go out there and play for them. Uh, that set of that set of players is not good, but there are things that you can do to help. As I said, they're beating you over the top no matter what. Well, you could have blitzed more. You you could have gone. You could have gone. You're you're not going to stop Radler from uh, you know throwing to these guys because they're going to be open. So why not come after Radler so he can't get the best pass off? You know. Like there's things that you can do schematically that can mitigate some of that. And so now if Heupel does want to make this move, I love Pate's point there. I think he could make more lead higher and maybe aim pretty high. And does he go and try to do that? Was this that bad? I think is kind of the question. I mean, this could be like Clemson in 2000 and. 11 I believe when they lost to West Virginia 70 oh, to yeah. 33 in the bowl game and they fired Kevin, Kevin Steele, Steele. <laughs> and then and then you hire Brent Venables who was there for a decade after that and was a big reason why Clemson turned the corner I mean I made this comparison on Twitter this loss to South Carolina kind of reminds me to an early Dabo Sweeney Clemson loss though it was a little worse than 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 some of Dabo's but either way Kind of reminds me of some of those early Clemsoning games when we used to have that term. They hired a new defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, and that's kind of what helped to get them over the top. Still took a couple of years to get there, but that's what had to happen. And it and that might be a similar situation. And what Josh Pate's saying, it is true that 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 Hypo heard some no's. Matt House, the defensive coordinator, and uh, it's at LSU now. He told Tennessee no. I mean, he was close. He was. They were working on a deal. He was the linebackers coach at uh, with Kansas City Chiefs at that time. He had previously been at Kentucky. 
just couldn't quite sell him on, on being a defense coordinator for Josh Hype on that up-tempo offense. He didn't know what it was going to look like in the SEC. So they couldn't get the deal done. They nubbed on to Tim Bench. So even he took some convincing to come to Tennessee. So he did go through some no's that first cycle. So if he goes back out there, I think you've got you've got two years of film. Defensive coordinator knows what they're getting into. They might be much more willing to take that job. The, the one problem I have uh, with hiring a defensive coordinator is who? I mean, I, it's way too premature to even think about names, but just these big name defensive coordinator hires a lot of times don't work out. A lot of times the big defense, the best defensive coordinators end up being the guys that come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden they're just a great sec defensive coordinator. So it's really going to be on hype not so much to, if he does make a change to hire a big name, because we've seen that before with Bob Shoup and, and in 2016, it can be more in hiring the right guy, the guy yeah. that can gel with the staff and, and who knows any other moves that might get made that again, it's, it's a little early to talk about that as far as specific people or names, but that's what you'd have to keep in mind. So you just got to trust that hype will be able to hire the guy he really does want this time around is I'm not sure Tim Banks was, well, I know there were other people hype wanted to hire uh, aside from Banks that he wasn't able to, or that the administration didn't necessarily want him to go with. So maybe this time he's going to have more freedom. Yeah. I believe the, the story, on Banks. It's been an admirable effort. I mean, I, I'll I'll say for sure. Banks is working with a thin, thin set of players. It's been an admirable effort. You beat you be Alabama. You beat Florida. You beat LSU. You know, they, he did some stuff here. And I'm not going to take that away from him. The, those, that was one of the worst defensive efforts I've ever seen in a college football game, period, much less just at Tennessee. So you can't, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, And I believe he had never solely called plays coming in. Correct. And you know, just getting a guy that's like a stalwart dude that's called plays maybe at multiple places or at least for a long time somewhere and that and is also kind of on the bleeding edge of college football. I think that's something you got to look for that's going to gel with Hypel because Hypel is just really pushing the envelope in every way that he possibly can. I think that's got to be part of it also. And and obviously if he wants to get rid of Tim Banks at all, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he might not. He might think uh, that's just might a, a bad game and, yeah. and it might, he might think part of it was uh, on the player's approach. I, uh, I, I can, I, I do see that to some extent. I mean, it ultimately, they're the ones that have to go out there and execute. My problem is, is like we talked about the calls just weren't good for what South Carolina was doing. They weren't putting the players in a good position. Yeah to make plays and to stop South Carolina. So yeah, the players have to execute and, and they could have played better. I'm sure all of them would say that, but I don't think they were put in a good position to, to have success either. To me, Jeffy in the comments right here, this one is non-negotiable. Willie Martinez got to go in, in my personal opinion. Uh, I know every, everybody knows me as the, as the fire, fire people guy. Here's my fire people, Willie Martinez. You got and, it. Yeah, and it's it's, it's not, like I like Willie Martinez. I think he's a, a good guy. I think players like him. I think recruits like him. But yeah, the secondary play just hasn't got better. In terrible. fact, it seems like it's got worse as the years went along. You know, him and Hypo had some connections, and plus his previous time at Tennessee is the reason that he ended up in Knoxville on this staff. But it it does seem like yeah, you, you're gonna have to go find something else because the DBs just start playing. I mean that it's been the weakest part of the team all season long. They've dealt with injuries. I mean Warren Burrell's been out, uh, hadn't banged up early, hurt your depth. So th they have had some adversity they've had to deal with. But even then against South Carolina, like if that game happens, and that game kind of did happen against Alabama. Uh, oh, luckily yeah. it just wasn't as bad. But if that game happens 
against an Alabama, against a Georgia, against a, a high-powered offense, if you go play Ohio State, if they would have made the playoff or something and that happens, it's not as shocking as when it happens to the team that literally scored six points the week before. Exactly. I mean, it. the The effort from the DBs, yeah, they're, they're slow. And they're, I, I don't think most of those guys are SEC caliber guys. Yeah, you lost I, a lot of speed when you lost Alante Taylor. You lost yes. Theo Jackson. I mean, you lost th- that. That, like, that hurt this defense a lot. Like, and and they're and they may be guys that'll be. Some of them are just young and maybe SEC talent in the future, and they're just green still. But some of them just it's just not ever gonna be there. But you look and like the tackling is bad. The technique is bad. They look lost out there. That's coaching. That's coaching. Yeah. And South Carolina tackled so much better than them on Saturday night. Like those slants, there were so many times it looked like it should be a first down and they just made the tackle. They, they got down the fundamentals and made the tackle the way they're supposed to. And they kept a, a, a seven yard gain from turning into a 15 yard gain. And they did that all night long. Georgia did it too. I expected it. I was kind of surprised at how well South Carolina tackled, and it really showed the difference in Tennessee's defensive backs and their tackling and South Carolina's tackling. And you're right. That is stark. It was stark. So, I mean, we can continue breaking down the defense. I do obviously want to get to talking about Hendon Hooker here, the most tragic part of this entire game, without a doubt. Um, But as far as the defense goes, because it was really the focal point there, again, I mean, it's the reason that you lost – by far and away without a doubt in this game. Uh, but was there anything else you wanted to hit on before we we move on? Yeah, I would say the big talk on Twitter yesterday, today, social media in general, has been the culture. Is there a culture problem? Are there these big locker room problems? Because you see a loss that shocking. You see all the Jeremy Bates stuff, which again, so much of that is rumor and people that weren't in the room trying to figure out what happened. I, I don't think we can really answer that question just yet. And I don't think it's fair to really even try because we, we don't have a pattern here that we can look at. We don't have pat like there haven't been issues that we know of up until this point. So I think we got to wait and see what happens in this Vanderbilt game. See how they come out. Is Jeremy Banks back? He says he's going to be based on his Instagram comments. Heupel uh, seems like he's going to be available this next week. Are they anticipating? You know how he is with not really committing half the time. Let's see how this game goes. Let's see how they play. Let's watch their mannerisms. Let's watch their body language. Let's see how they rally around each other. If we see the same issues we saw against South Carolina, then I think we can start talking about culture problems. But I don't think it's fair to do that until we see this Vanderbilt game and see what happens and how they finish the season. Exactly. With, like with Butch, it was a pervasive thing that popped up again and again. Yeah, we and knew again it. And again, this would be the first time it's happened with Hypel. And I, I think to a certain extent, you got a hundred kids in there, more, uh, and these things happen, they're, and they happen to everybody. And so, like, yeah, like on the, a, fact on that a, the fact that a locker room dispute happened between Hendon Hooker and Jeremy Banks, if that's what happened, it, that, that doesn't bother me at all because I guarantee no. you, there's a lot of those that have happened that nobody's ever heard about, and that players probably didn't even think twice about because they've grown up playing sports, and it's. It's something that they've seen since a young age. I mean, I've seen my kids' youth baseball team have little interactions between them. You know, like it, I've seen adults in those same situations that are friends uh, get in, into disputes. So it does happen. You got 100 people in a locker room. 
I don't care how good of a coach you are, how good your culture is, human beings are human beings. You get a group of 100 guys together and they're spending a lot of time together, there's going to be some disagreements. Like it's it's going to happen. I think naturally. I think it's I my gut is that it's been blown out of proportion and I think people like drama and they like to think about stuff like this and it's easy to point to a cultural issue being the reason for the loss, but I I really think it's as simple as just a bad game, bad game plan, bad energy. I mean, that to me yep. is the 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 not so subtle secret about what happened. South Carolina came in with a great game plan. Tim Banks came in without a game plan <laughs> or something uh, and, and didn't adjust and didn't do anything. And they, they blew you out of the water. And that is what it is. I would have to see much more evidence of cultural problems yeah. than, and, oh, Jeremy Banks and Hinn and Hooker yelled at each other. Uh, you know, I got to see way more look, that. And we're not burying our hand, heads in the sand. Know. We're not burying our heads in the sand at all on this. If, if it gets to that point, we'll talk about it. We... We went all in on it during Jeremy Pruitt and after the Kentucky loss and the things that happened at the end of his time. Uh, we won't shy away from it. I just don't think it's fair to go there quite yet. No. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll I'll happily talk about it. I destroyed Butch over that. I mean, I excoriated him. I love that word. But really, I, I hit on that constantly when I was still – I was doing full-time media at the time. So, believe me, I'm not afraid to go there. Um. But then when you when you turn to the offense, again, the offense, with more chances, you would have put up 40 to 50 points, and you probably would have won the game with a decent defense here. And you should have. You know, the, the defense plays with a half-decent effort, and you win this game. Um, and so the offense was fine until Hinden Hooker. This is just painful. Goes down, non-contact injury. It's a torn ACL, confirmed yesterday by UT. It's sickening. Um, South Carolina's field was in atrocious shape. They should be ashamed of that. It was. I kept on, waiting on the the waves from the ocean to wash over midfield because it's like they're playing oh my on the gosh. beach. There's so much sand on on the play where he ripped his ACL. His back foot drags across the turf and it's just all of this sand that flies up. And you just go, what is this amateur hour field care here? This is the SEC. Like, put a little care into this, boys. Hello, somebody. It was terrible. I mean, that South Carolina had players get hurt. Brandon, and, and then you had other other Tennessee players, Brandon Turner, Danico Slaughter go down. I mean, it, it was terrible the whole night. Um, I, I even heard, I was listening to Basilio's post game. He had a guy who said he does turf management as a job call in. And he was like, you could tell that the top layer of turf was not well rooted at all. And that it looked like they had like planted it yesterday or seeded it yesterday, I guess. And I mean, it was just horrendous. And so he tears his ACL. You know, it's it's not the reason that Tennessee lost. Again, I'm sure South Carolina fans could be, oh, does Tennessee lost because the field? You're stupid. No, Tennessee didn't lose because of the field. Tennessee lost because the defense played the worst game of football I've ever witnessed. But uh, the field did tear him and Hooker's ACL, and I mean, it's it's horrendous. And and yeah, and like Alan Alan makes a point here. Georgia used to say that about our field. Oh, I thought it looked that, rough. Yeah, I I thought that about it. When was it Gurley or whoever ripped his ACL at? Uh, not Gurley. Uh, um, uh, Nick Chubb did. Nick Chubb. Uh, at Neyland, Nick Chubb yeah. ripped his ACL at Tennessee. I, I'm, I'm happy 
to say that because it was Tennessee's field was bad back then. It was bad. South Carolina's field was bad then too, or uh, for this game this week, it was just really, really bad. And I mean that it's a safety hazard period. And so the career, the Tennessee career um, for one of the best players that's ever suited up for this uh, great program um, is over because of uh, their awful field management. And it's a total shame and it's gutting and it's just horrendous. And I, could not feel worse for the kid. Made me made me almost well up in tears. I was just, it's just, it was so much. It was so much worse than the actual loss, even. Mm-hmm. Like it, it because you just feel on an extremely human level. It's like sports. Sports is a game, but on an extremely human level, you just go, "This kid didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve to have the the best season a QB has had at this school in forever, and have his ACL ripped apart by this garbage field." And ah. Uh, was it, just it, absolutely sick about it, man. It was uh, a very strange feeling on Saturday night when that happened because by that point the game had pretty much been decided. There was there was really no hope for a comeback, and he goes down non-contact. I think we all knew pretty much what it was going to be. I mean, you hope for the best, but with everything going on, the the situation didn't really hit me until the next day when Tennessee made the announcement that this is it. This is like we will never see. Hendon Hooker take another snap in a Tennessee uniform. And that's not that's not how you wanted to send him out at all. You wanted it – obviously, you wanted it to be in, in a playoff game, right? I mean, you wanted to see him in a semifinal game, in a championship game, and, and, and just a, a magical ending. Even in that moment, though, knowing that that was slipping away and it probably wasn't going to happen, you still wanted to see him go beat Vanderbilt, get Tennessee somehow to the Sugar Bowl if, if they get some help from LSU losing and, and maybe Alabama – you wanted to see him go out that way. Like that would have been the next best thing, an eleven win season beating Alabama, Florida, LSU in one season. I mean, that's still it's a hell of a season. And anybody would have signed up for it. And to know that he's not gonna be able to do that, it is gutting just because of what he stood for, the way he yeah. carried himself. Uh I think his impact on the quarterback room is gonna last a long time because you got guys like Joe Milton and Taven Jackson that have been in there soaking that up. And even Joey Hosley, the the quarterback's coach, is going to learn from the way Hendon Hooker handled himself. And that's going to be the standard moving forward at Tennessee. And it's going to be because Hendon Hooker laid this foundation for every quarterback that's going to come after him in, in the coming years. So you can't say enough about what he's meant to Tennessee and the way he's done it, the way he's carried himself and handled himself. I mean, he he's just... He's really been a miracle for Tennessee and and the way his story, the way he ended up there, transferring from Virginia Tech, committing to Jeremy Pruitt, staying through a coaching change with a coach that he knew nothing about, really. Uh, It says a lot about his character and and who he is as a person. So really going to miss him, really unfortunate, and and just hate it for him and and his future, too, because now it's so late in the season that that's going to impact his draft status, and he's not going to be able to work out and go through pro days and the combine. I mean, it's it's going to have a big effect on him. He will be... It, I guess it depends on the speed. I actually was listening. This year's a little promo. Uh, Austin Stanley of A to Z Sports. Earlier today, he did a segment with a, a orthopedic surgeon um, from the Bone and Joint Institute in Nashville. Um, and they talked about Hinden's injury and going forward, what it kind of means for him and his NFL prospects. And they said that he'll basically be right on the line when draft prep is coming up. So it'll be like March-ish. Um, when all of that is going down and he, yeah, I mean, pro day is out of the question and some of those things like that, but he should be able to theoretically work out 
some like he'll he'll be back to participating in some degree because that'll be what is that you know five months um and you know you you can be back in some degree by that point but it's still the timing is just ugh, just couldn't be worse i mean unless it was just the bowl game where he did it or something like that but it just was every part of it and it ended with a fumble like it was just you know a kick in the head and then a kick in the nuts, just yeah. like right one, one after the other. And he fumbled the ball because he felt his knee rip. Like you could tell it happened all at the same time. Yeah. He, he felt his knee go. He let go of the ball to grab his knee. Like it was the worst. It was a literal waking nightmare. Everything about it. It was sickening, horrifying. Everything that is the worst part of this amazing sport. Like, do you, do uh, you think, and, and I only asked, I really hadn't even considered this because I figured once the ACL happened, obviously he's not going to win the Heisman, but does he still get invited to New York and on the stage? Because Josh Hypo was, would. Josh Hypo was asked that today and I was kind of surprised at the question, but then after I heard Hypo's answer, I was like, well, maybe it, maybe it's a pretty good question because Hypo seems to think that he's deserving. Of course, he's going to say that about his quarterback, but Hypo's been on that stage. He knows you know, kind of the qualifications and what it takes to get there. Um, Cause I think that's still really important to get hooker there, to get that notoriety. I think he deserves to have that, even though he's not going to win at this point, he deserves to have that experience. Do you think that he gets invited? It's only one regular season game that he's missing. Heisman trophy ceremony is, I don't know if it's voted on before the conference championships or not. I know it's the weekend after the conference championships. So he's really only missing, I think one game I think it's uh, after. Of, of his resume uh as far as that goes so does he still get on the stage i would hope so i mean i i don't love you know if you want to call it a charity case but i think he earned it i i I genuinely i think he did um because i think you know he wasn't going to do anything in these two games that was gonna win him the heisman necessarily more likely than not they they just aren't spectacular games you're playing bad opponents um and so uh, I, I wish they would. I really wish they would because he he just deserves something. Don't let him go out like that. Just, ah, uh, it was just so gross on an opponent's field. And, ah, uh, man, like, I just, I can't say enough uh, about that whole situation because it just made me ill. Uh, but um, that that being said, you know, turn and this is joe milton's team now um and it's uh that's a whole interesting element here going forward uh because i i don't want to say that you take these last two games you know this in the bowl game differently but i think it paints everything in a different light than it would have looked if Hooker doesn't take that injury. You you would have still taken the loss. You said it. The game was over when Hooker went down. It was already over. But, you know, with Milton leading you in the last two games, does this, like if, if Tennessee takes care of business next week, makes it to the Orange Bowl against Clemson or something, and Tennessee loses that game, do we look on it and we go like, well, you didn't get to 11 wins, but Hooker wasn't playing. And I, I hate that element of this. It I hate that so much because you almost you you, like you know if a Clemson fan brags about that you go like well it wasn't like really the the team like our starting quarterback wasn't playing you know and I hate that it just 
everything about this sucks so much, man. I, well, I, I don't think you can look at the Vanderbilt game that way because whether it's Joe Milton or Hendon Hooker, that's a game that, that you should win. You got more talent. True, that's e- true. E- even without Hooker. So as far as the bowl game, I was thinking about this earlier. You know, you want to go to the Sugar Bowl, but that means you're probably going to play a pretty tough game, right? Um, is it more important to play in the Sugar Bowl with Joe Milton starting game that maybe the other team's favored because Hooker's not playing? Or do you want that 11th win more where you'd be willing to play in the Outback Bowl? Because what do you remember more a year or two from now? I think about Ole Miss. Is Ole Miss celebrating that they went to the Sugar Bowl and then they lost because Matt Corral got hurt? I mean, if Matt Corral doesn't get hurt, maybe they win that game and they win 11 games. Instead, they go 10 and 3 and Lane Kiffin's, you know, he's won 10 games. That sounds, you know, 11 wins sounds a lot better. Do you care what bowl game it comes in if it's if it's the 11th win or, or is just playing in the Sugar Bowl more important? I mean, to me, at this point, I know a lot of Tennessee fans aren't going to love this. I don't care what consolation prize Tennessee gets. It's all it's a consolation prize. Yeah. You you were looking for the playoff, and you didn't make it. Uh, and so, to me, the season is not a failure by any means. And I don't no. want that to be misconstrued no. that way. No. The season's been unbelievable and, and will forever be. I mean, this is the foundation. You know, Hinden Hooker will forever be remembered as the guy that, especially if this turns into – you know, a semi powerhouse going forward where you're wearing winning 10 plus games a year every year. Hinden Hooker will always be remembered as the dude that that set the foundation. And that's incredible. But as far as this bowl game goes, I mean, I don't want it to be the Music City Bowl for sure. Uh, and I don't think it will be. But um, you know, if it turns in everybody's been like, oh, the citrus bowl. The citrus bowl is cool. I don't know. I'm not like, yeah, we can go back to the dumb Spurrier jokes. You can't spell citrus without UT or whatever, but like this is in the 1990s. I don't care about that anymore. If if Tennessee goes and they have to play, I don't know, who would it even be at this point, UCLA, and they beat UCLA, that's a win on the schedule. I don't really care. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it just doesn't matter to me because what I wanted was the playoff. I mean, the Sugar Bowl would be a nice payoff. I think it's going to be end up being Alabama. Um, unless they somehow sneak into the playoff, which is kind of possible. I guess we could talk about that, but it's a lot of exposition and things that need to happen. Um, but uh, it, it just, it's all a consolation price, frankly. The Sugar Bowl is a consolation prize. <laughs> I, I wanted that playoff, man. I wanted it bad. I wanted it so bad. And that's done now. Yeah, I, I feel know. that way. I feel that way too. And, and it's not, the, like you said, it's not to call the season a failure, but it. I think once. Once Tennessee went to number one in the playoff rankings, the goals for the season changed. I mean, then you're right there. You're exactly. you have just as good. You're right there where Ohio State, where Michigan, where all these. You're where Clemson wants to be. I mean, you are where Clemson's goal is to win a national championship. Alabama's goal is to win a national championship, and you're in that position. So I think that changed the goals a little bit. So yeah, it, it does feel like a letdown if you go play in the Sugar Bowl after thinking that you're going to make the playoff. All you got to do is win these last two games and hope that TCU or, or USC loses. Or even if they don't lose, maybe you get in. And and I think part of that, part of that right there too is my theory on why this team has looked the way it has since Georgia. Uh, ever since they got to number one in the rankings, I don't think that it went to their head. But I think before that they got before they got to number one in the rankings, after they beat Kentucky, I feel like that team had a mindset. They were playing so loose that they were playing with house money. And there wasn't these there wasn't a lot of expectations on them. There wasn't a lot of pressure. 
And once they went to number one and then you're playing this huge game against Georgia, they haven't looked the same since that, even against Missouri. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a one score game in the second half. Missouri kind of the wheels fell off for them. Tennessee started executing better, but for one half, if that game's at Missouri, I don't know. I don't want to know what happens in that game. If it's a road game at Missouri, it, it could have been the South Carolina game. They, they seem like they've been out of sorts since then. So this team's, they weren't ready to handle this type of success and to be hit with those types of expectations. And that's part of the growing process of this program. I don't, it is something you got to go through. It's something that I think Kirby went through it a little bit early mm-hmm. on, just mm-hmm. a little, I think, I think even Nick Saban went through it at times. I mean, the guy law, I mean, early on, he's won a national championship and he still goes and loses to South Carolina when he's ranked number one. I mean, we've seen this happen with team Ohio state, did it under Ryan Day. They they got blown out by Iowa when they were ranked in the top five, and I believe Iowa was unranked. Like this stuff that happens. Purdue happens. Too. Yeah, you've got to learn from it, and you've got to go through it. Every single coach that coaches college football has been through this before at some point, from Nick Saban to Josh Heupel and everybody in between. So I don't think it's an indictment of Heupel or the team by any means, but I do think it's something they had to go through. Heupel hasn't been in that position as a coach before. I mean, he'd been there as a player but he hadn't been there as a coach of a team. Nobody on the staff really had either. So I, I don't I don't think it's this terrible sign that some people think it is that something is amiss with this program. I think it's just college football. Yeah, I mean, you you, you can't just know what you don't know. And and Heupel, while he, you know, he had an undefeated regular season at UCF and then went and played in the bowl game and almost beat, I forget who it was, but he, you know, he had a one-loss season. Oh, uh, yeah, LSU. That's right. It was, it was Joe Burrow. It was yeah, pretty, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he's done that much, but it's still a pretty giant learning curve to come in and not just be in SEC football. I think he's got a decent handle on that, but to come come in and be in SEC football and be the number one team in America. Like, that's a crazy thing that very few coaches ever experience, period. Much less a guy who's in his second year at a total rebuild. Um, and so it's a total, totally new thing that he's learning. Also, I think he's extremely capable um, uh, of of getting there, and I th- I think he will. That my personal expectation is that he will. I I have not seen the red flags or anything uh, nearly at all that I've that I ever saw with a with a Butch or a Pruitt or a Dooley or anything like that. Um, and so I I do think to go forward to this. Vandy game, which we do have to talk about eventually. I don't know if I want to get fully into it quite yet, but this week is huge. And it's, I'm sure people will realize it more as the week goes along because I think we're also sort of in shock from the South Carolina game. This is going to say a lot about Josh Heibel because here's the, the two things that could happen this week. One is a 10 win season that's the best season since 2004 at Tennessee and a celebration, potentially an orange bowl bid, uh, whatever and losing to Vanderbilt and questioning everything about this program. The like that's the juxtaposition of what could happen this week. Now I, I, I think I say questioning everything about this program. That would only really be the case if they like got blown out by Vandy. Where you kind of go like, oh, did, did Hypo like lose the team? Did what, you know, because I, 
I think he'd get blown out by Fandy in this one. They got to quit. Like, that would be a next level bad outcome here. But um, I, I just, I think it's a, a bit of a razor's edge this week. And it's unfortunate because Hypel, Hypel blew the expectations through the roof. And then now you're on the precipice of the best season since 2004. And you gotta, I mean, you gotta follow through. Because the expectation is going through Vandy. And, like, I'm not going to give you a pass if you don't be Vandy. That's not... Like, if if the final game to get the 10 wins was the LSU game or something, and they ended up losing, I'd be like, okay, that was LSU in Death Valley. Uh, fine. But this is Vandy. And if he didn't be Vandy, uh, has there ever been a Tennessee coach that lost to Vandy, at least in this modern era, that made it out alive? Uh, no, there hasn't been. So... You know, that's that's the situation that's coming up this week. Um, and I, like like we can say like, oh, well, Hinden's not playing or anything, but don't act like you're not going to remember that he lost to Vandy. You'll remember that if that happens. We'll look back and we'll be like, oh, that was great, but he lost to Vandy. That's going to be the talking point on the season. <laughs> oh, that was a fun season, but he lost to Vandy. Don't think that that won't be the talking point after this. You, If you can be as kind as you want to. But that is what they're facing this week. Yeah, you absolutely can't lose to Vanderbilt no matter who's starting at quarterback. Uh, but it's going to be a tough game because Vanderbilt's playing for ball eligibility. They've been playing better lately. So it's not it's it's far from a, the gimme game that we thought it was. And I really don't know what to expect at this point from Tennessee after watching them lose to South Carolina that way, kind of struggle early on against Missouri. I think this is going to be a very telling week and we're going to learn a lot about Josh Heupel this week as a coach and how he rebounds from a tough situation because this is the first time that he's really faced adversity. I mean, he had kind of the grace period in, in, in 2021 and he really kind of exceeded some expectations, went seven and six, which I thought is what you want to, what you want to do, but a lot of people didn't think he would. So he did kind of what we expected him to do that season. And then Georgia, you, you kind of get a pass on that a little bit because it's Georgia you don't get a pass on losing to South Carolina in that way, especially getting blown out. So this is the first time that he's really got to show like, Hey, we can come back from this adversity. And else mentioned that I, I misspoke on a uh, Ryan day. It was not Ryan day that lost to Iowa. It was urban Meyer, which I completely forgot that that was still urban Meyer. Uh, it's big Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, not speaking bad about Ryan day. I have nothing against Ryan day. There's been, I know a lot of people say that he took over, you know, a great situation, and he did. But we've seen guys take over great situations and not do well with it at yeah. all, and drive it straight into the ground. So I, he's done a good job. I, I think he's lost like what four games total there. So I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing Rondé at all. I think he's a great coach and has done a really good job there. Yeah, he he, he started with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he's kept it there. So yeah, I mean, yeah. we like I said, we I mean, look at you know Brent Venables at Oklahoma took over a great situation. It has exactly. not went well at all for him. So I'm not it's not, not that easy. I'll throw any shade at Ryan Day. But uh, the there just are facts here that are tough to swallow even beyond how terrible that game was. Like, that is the situation you're facing this week, and we have to be really real about that. I don't think that you can overlook the what, what it would do sort of visually for Josh Heupel if you lose to Vanderbilt. I mean, it is that's the cornerstone the cornerstone no-no for a Tennessee coach. Um, and you would beat Alabama and lose to Vanderbilt. 
<laughs> what a season that would be if that actually happens. But, um, well, I mean, we before before we get to it, we can just go ahead and get to it. Although I, I think there are a couple of things I, I want to mention before that. But anything else with the actual game itself, Zach, that we may have uh, overlooked that you want to mention? I didn't think it would really be breaking down how Tennessee needs to beat Vanderbilt. Uh, because it was just assumed that they would beat them. But I don't think we can, obviously we can't assume that anymore with this being a road game and Vanderbilt playing well. I assume there'll be a lot of Tennessee fans there. I saw somebody mention it earlier. Please don't checker Neyland at this point. You cannot checker Neyland after you lose. I mean, uh, not checker Neyland, uh, Vanderbilt Stadium. You cannot checker Vanderbilt Stadium after losing to South Carolina. You just can't do it. <laughs> Wear as much orange as you like. Orange out, you know, make the crowd look as orange as possible. Be loud. Try to make it feel like a home game, but I don't. I, I think it's kind of like the cleats in the ground thing. It died once they lost to South Carolina. It's over. You, you, you can't. You can't go back to it. Uh, you kind of ruined the shtick there. But I think they just got to get out to a fast start. They have to come out. They have to score fast. They have to score early. I wouldn't even give Vanderbilt the ball if you win the toss. I would take the ball and try to go score and get the crowd out of it. Whoever's there, because I, I do think Vanderbilt will have some fans show up. It's not going to be a a tough environment because there's just not enough people that that stadium holds. But I think there's some, a little bit of excitement now with Vanderbilt football because I mean, they can, they need to knock off Tennessee and become bowl eligible, which nobody expected. So I do think they're going to be, uh, they're going to be ready for this game Vanderbilt, but I think Tennessee's players, they know the Omari Thomas said it today. They know that Vanderbilt's chasing a bowl game and they're going to get their best shot. And I don't think that they, realize that about South Carolina. I think they listened to some of the noise coming from South Carolina, basically waving the white flag. I think that creeped into the their psyche just a little bit. Yeah, yeah I I think Vandy's going to play with pride in this one, and you, you got to watch out. Uh, but we'll get to that in just one second. Um, first, just want to mention some recruiting tidbits. Uh, one piece of good news, Khalifa Keith, the decommit from Kentucky, is now committed to Tennessee did that yesterday and uh that's all I mean it's just nice just stealing from Kentucky like that uh can't help but enjoy it um he's not a, a super highly rated prospect but um I, I think he, he is a nice addition to that running back room and that's fun uh beyond that David Hobbs got another the five-star defensive lineman got another crystal ball for Tennessee after the game even um his announcement is coming up on Friday and this is what I wanted to talk about uh, for for recruiting here. A lot of people after that, I, I had folks in my mentions that were like, oh, this is so bad for recruiting. I can't believe they would do this. We're going to, everything's going to fall apart. I, don't put too much weight on one game. I, I think, and, and it goes both ways. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about after the Florida game and the Alabama game and, um, uh, those those environments like those are incredible for recruiting but one game singularly can impress a recruit but it's a body of work that gets them here and honestly i almost think there's really nothing that can happen for the rest of this season that is going to throw away the class that tennessee already has for 2023 it may make things maybe slightly rockier for 2024 but even still nine wins already and nine wins for a program that's coming off the, you know, just being a complete dumpster fire. And I think you still go 
it kind of gives you this talking point almost. Not that in any way this loss to South Carolina was a good thing, but especially to defensive players, you can almost go, hey, look, we won nine games this year, or 10 games, if they could be Vandy. Look at that. Now, come with me and watch the South Carolina game. Now, you see that cornerback right there? He's terrible. You're not terrible. So how about you come to Tennessee and I'm going to give you that guy's job and you can take over, you know, you got to have that selling point. I think it also gives you a big selling point with and Mr. Jones says it here in the, in the comments, he says transfer portal will be huge. Also, it gives mm-hmm. you a, a real talking point for the transfer portal to go like, please, dear God, we need you. And come I think that's, I think based on, you know, what people have said and what's out there, it sounds like Tennessee's going to go pretty heavy in the portal. And I think that's probably, because of the secondary and the defensive side of the ball. They got the dudes on offense. They got the dudes on offense. I mean, you got guys that have stepped up when other guys have went down. I mean, Ramel Keaton played extremely well, and Tillman's absence had to come in the second half when Brew McCoy went down, played pretty well, made a couple of catches. You got those dudes, but you need guys on the defensive side. You need more pass rushers. You need more – I mean, you need everything, really. The secondary is the weakest point, but you need upgrades all across that unit. So I think they'll be very heavy – in the portal, and obviously NIL is going to be a big part of that. Uh, it has to be a big part of that at this point. That's just the way the game is played. And, you know, now that Josh Heupel's officially endorsed uh, Spire as the collective for Tennessee, they can kind of u- utilize that a little better, a little a little better partnership there between the collective and the school. So hopefully they, they are able to find some guys in the portal that can help this defense because otherwise uh, next year is going to be just as bad uh, defensively. Come on down. Anybody and everybody, we need you. I mean, good Lord. Uh, yeah, so hopefully they do both of those things. But I, I would say if you're if you're freaking out over that game recruiting-wise, eh, don't, don't put too much stock in it. It's one, one game, and it also is a game that, that now kind of gives you a selling point to go like, look how bad this defense is. Why don't you come play defense for us? And, um, and you still have nine wins to show them. A win over Alabama, a win over Florida, a win over LSU. You have all of that still stacked up, tons of goodwill. And and I don't think that that one uh, freak game is is going to scare anybody off. Um, so that, oh, yeah. Real quick, talking about the portal, this is an interesting point, Ben Hall says, and I hope Kirby Smart hates that we're looking to the portal since every five-star on the planet is currently on his roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, teams can't really hoard talent the way they used to anymore. No. Don't play those guys. If you're a junior and – it doesn't matter if you're a four star, five star, it, you know, whatever it is, you're a talented player, you're going to look for a place you can get on the field. Yeah. And if you're there and you see the path is kind of muddied and it's running out of time and you think you have NFL potential, you're going to go somewhere where you can play. So, in general, the, the portal levels the playing field for so many different reasons. One, because you're able to rebuild a roster so much faster, and that's helped Josh Heupel and a lot of other programs. But you, you get some of that talent away from Georgia, too. You get a guy from Georgia, you're hurting them and helping yourself. I mean, it, it, that I, I, I do think that's part of why we're starting to see more parity in college football. Outside of Georgia, I feel like there's been a lot of parity in college football this season, and I think it's going to continue to see that more and more. Absolutely. Hopefully. Um, we just need the guys. <laughs> Come on down play for Tennessee, please. Please. Um, now we can get to this Vandy game. Yeah, this isn't as straightforward as we thought it would be a week ago. Uh, as crazy as it is, Joe Milton's your quarterback. Uh, 
Brew McCoy got banged up in that game uh, mm-hmm. against South Carolina. I think he'll be fine. Um, I don't think he came back at all in the second half, though. He didn't, and I wondered if it was precautionary or not. Uh, but it wasn't a knee or anything. It wasn't, you know, I, th- I think yeah. it was like a rib or something. Yeah. Um, nobody asked about it at the press conference today. Not that Hypo would have given a straight answer anyway, but we'll see where he's at later in the week. Yeah. That's, that's, all, would have been. that's what he said about everybody. Danico Slaughter hurt. Brandon Turnage hurt at positions that already stink. Um, not great. I, I think you, you have to play every game, this Vandy game and the bowl game. Basically with the assumption that whatever team you play, you have to assume that they're going to be able to pass all over you. <laughs> I think you just have to, period. That has to be the assumption. And it's not that I think Vandy's quarterback is going to be some magician, but the possibility is there for any quarterback to be a magician against Tennessee because look at the body of work here. So there's that. Um, I think with Milton... Tennessee should be fine points production wise. It would just be so hard for me to believe that a guy with at this point that much experience and that, you know, who's so familiar with how everything works, who's also a team leader. He's a, he's a backup team leader and and really has kind of taken that role and, and is one of the best friends to Hendon hooker and has um, they've learned together and come up that way. Um, he, I think the only thing is finesse in short yardage throws where he clearly, he just loves launching that football and has a hard time reining that in. But if he can, he had in just in that South Carolina game, a beautiful back to shoulder throw uh, for a touchdown to Cedric Tillman in another like fade route from a, the opposite hash. That, yes. that throw was the 61 yard though gets the attention, the square white, which you're probably going to there. Yeah. But that, fade route from the 30 yard line to Tillman was as impressive as of a, of a throw I've seen him make just the accuracy of it and the situation. I mean, with white, you're just chunking it down the field and white kind of had to wait on a little bit, but that throw to Milton uh, Tillman was great. However, he also missed, I believe it was a Cedric Tillman in the end zone that was wide open by about 10 or 15 feet. It seemed like, and that was a, that was a bad, bad miss. And that's, yeah, that's the concern. You have to keep that to an absolute minimum because that that's the stuff that goes understated from Hinden Hooker that becomes a glaring problem when it doesn't go right. Mm-hmm. Like, Milton is so amazing on these giant bomb throws. And then he has, you know, Jalen Hyatt wide open across the middle and he just launches it past him. That's going to stick out. And it's going to be a major problem if he can't uh, get that together. Now, granted, I think Milton has become better in a lot of different ways. Hopefully, he is more consistent in that mid-range game. And the big one, he has become a way more aggressive runner. And I think mm-hmm. they're going to exploit the hell out of that yeah. in this game. Um, I, I would be very surprised if they don't run him a ton and and get him in positions where he can just be a tank out there. <laughs> I, it's I like think... he finally realized he's like the size of a defensive end. Oh, he's huge. I mean, he could be an edge rusher. Yeah, he's absolutely massive, and he he can just barrel dudes over. So I think they're they're probably going to run him. Josh Heupel kind of alluded to it today. He didn't say it straight. He got asked about that. You know, are you going to think of Price asked him that? You know, are you going to run him more? And and Heupel said, you know, we're going to. We're going to do what we got to do. 
and uh, I think that that's what that means. You have to utilize the best parts of this kid, and he and finesse is not the best part of his game. The best part of his game is bombs over the top, and and I think it's going to be strong running. So and we're going to get it- into a a big debate, I think, after this game about whether or not he should be the starting quarterback in twenty twenty three. Like oh, this yeah. is the uh, audition because look. Like right now, Tennessee, you know, going in next year, you have Taven Jackson and Nico. Taven hasn't played a lot of football. We don't really know what they have there. Nico's going to be a true freshman. Joe Milton's got a lot of consistency issues. And I had, I tweeted a video of his two great throws in that South Carolina game. Some Michigan fans made it into my mentions and they, they weren't talking trash about Joe Milton, but they pretty much said, What you're saying about him, all this upside, just got to be consistent. We said it for three years. So you got to wonder, is he going to be able to find that consistency? Can he? Uh, uh, Vanderbilt, it's going to be 60 minutes. 60 minutes because we've only seen these small doses, a quarter of action, a couple of drives here and there with, you know, against teams that are getting blown out. We haven't seen him in a competitive game since that Pittsburgh game before he got hurt or the end of the Ole Miss game, I guess, which is still a very small sample size. So, so we're going to find out how much progress he's made uh, on Saturday. Yep. And thankfully, uh, this game comes against uh, the worst defense in the SEC uh, by a pretty decent margin, actually. Uh, Vandy is last in scoring defense. They are last in total defense in the SEC uh, by a decent margin. I mean, Tennessee's defense, as bad as it is, I want to say is like better than Vandy's defense by like 50 yards a game. Mm. Um, So if that says anything about how bad overall Vandy's defense has been this season... There is that. I think the the real threat from them is on the offensive side of the ball. They have a kid that can run, and I think that's got to be a little scary um, for Tennessee. They've obviously had plenty of problems with running quarterbacks, although I, I think the real problem comes from a quarterback that can hit you through the air, and, and Vandy's quarterback against Florida only threw 16 passes and 10 completions for three touchdowns and an interception. And then Vandy ran for 175 yards. So Wright was efficient in that game. I think didn't Florida turn the ball over a couple of times. Like there was some timely stuff that happened in that game that flipped it in Vandy's favor. Um, And so overall, let's see what, what Florida went for. Florida threw for four hundred yards against Vandy. Uh, so that's not a good sign for Vandy. <laughs> and then they ran for 45. But of course, Florida was behind that entire game and kind of coming, trying, trying to chase. And so I, I think Tennessee's offense is going to eat once again here, even with Milton, that quarterback. And the question comes down to, can you stop this Vanderbilt offense? Which it's so crazy that Tennessee's uh, defense is that bad that we are saying, can you stop Vanderbilt's offense? But they put up what they put up against Florida 31. I don't think you can discount that at all. 31 points against Florida. And I would say Florida's defense is probably better than Tennessee's. (laughs) So, uh, maybe not by a giant margin. Uh, but you know, cause they, they've been pretty bad, but I can, can they do it? What do you think Zach? The concern with Mike Wright's running the ball, right? Yep. I mean, 
he didn't do much against Florida. They were able to contain him, but Kentucky, he rushed for 126 yards in that game against Kentucky. I mean, that's a big reason why they were able to beat Kentucky. And against Florida, I really don't know. I didn't watch much of that game, and based on his stat line, I don't know how they actually beat Florida, but they did, but they, they held him a little bit. But Tennessee has not proven that they can stop a running quarterback really this year. Uh, Jaden Daniels didn't really try it as much in the LSU game. That was kind of before they turned him loose a little bit. That That's the concern. I mean, that's a real concern after watching the South Carolina game last week is, is can they stop him when he gets, you know, third and 12 and they got mm-hmm. good coverage for once and he takes off in the middle of the field, are you going to be able to stop him and hold him? I mean, you look at that South Carolina game. Like, I think the defining play of that whole game was the third and 20. Mm. where they were in third and 20 and kind of a me. I think Tennessee was still within striking distance at that point. Yeah. And you went, how are they going to, they're going to get this. I don't yeah, know how they're going to surprise at all. Get it. Yeah. Like th- there was zero confidence that they could stop a third and 20, a third and 20. <laughs> so, and, and I mean, it was just a strike over the middle from, if I'm thinking correctly, just a strike over the middle from, from Rattler to whoever mm-hmm. he threw to like 42 different receivers in that game. And they all had great catches and played well. Um, again, a miracle performance from them and congratulations to them. But, uh, I mean, do, but do whatever you have to do. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I would say pin your ears back and don't let this kid throw. I don't, it looks like they're probably not going to try to throw that much. Well, I don't know. I actually, I say that they should. So actually maybe they will, but uh, and I don't know how much confidence they have in right to deliver even against Tennessee. Um, because quarterback, I mean, Levis looked like total garbage against Tennessee. They can play defense against the quarterback when they really put their mind to it. I don't know. It has happened this season against uh, the kid from LSU. They play great defense against that kid. So it can happen. But um, will will it, which defense will show up? The one from well, the depends on, game? Does, or the does, one from does Jeremy week. Bates play? Does Jeremy Bates play? I mean, that's going to be huge. I mean, sounds like he's regardless gonna. of whatever happened, you need him to stop Mike Wright. You need him to be out there uh, to do some of that. And, you know, as bad as the defense did play, we've talked about that a lot. I think we should point out that Aaron Beasley played really well uh, for Tennessee on Saturday night. He was the one player that seemed like he really did show up, made a couple of really nice plays and, and gotten some gaps and stopped some runs from happening. Uh, hopefully that same energy is 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 there with the entire defense uh, on Saturday night against Vanderbilt. Hopefully, uh, I mean this this game, even with Milton, does set up decently well for Tennessee, but it just so much trust was lost last week. Like yep. that's that's I think what a, a saying that really applies this week. Is what what is it? You know, you can you can gain trust in an instant, or you uh, what is it? You take can years to gain take trust. Years to gain trust, it. and you can lose it in an instant. They lost it. I mean, it's just on the defense the defensive side of the ball. The offense, you know, I think Heupel will get it figured out. Even if Milton has some overthrows, I think he's better than he was last year. I think he'll be more composed. I think that road environment. I mean, it's going to be fifty percent Tennessee fans, if not more, and. So, I think they'll I, run the uh, ball a lot. The what? I think they'll run the ball quite a bit. With Tennessee, in there. yeah, yes, I I do too. And and but on that point though, I mean, Vandy, Vandy's run defense is certainly their strong suit. Their pass defense, 
the only pass defense in the SEC that is worse is Tennessee's. <laughs> they both give up 303 yards per game. Tennessee gives up 303.4, and Vandy gives up 303.3. I don't know if I can handle uh, like a 55 to 52 game uh, against Vanderbilt. Please, no. Figure out a way. I don't know what it is. Figure it out. If you have to blitz like your life depends on it, if you have to, I, I, I mean, what, what even is there to do? And, and Vandy has Shepard, this kid Shepard, who's a, a pretty good wide receiver. He's one of the best wide receivers in the SEC statistically this season. And, and Wright can run. And they, they're going to be able to do stuff against you. They just are. This defense is that bad. Vandy is not a given because of how bad this defense is. And I, I think the real key to me about winning this game, you got to get up early. You have to, if you're going to make any stops, make sure it's the first two drives of the game and get up 14 to zero, 17 to zero, 21 to zero, and then work from there. You can then give up everything you want to, but as long as you get a couple of touchdowns ahead and then they're chasing you, I think you're in a, in a good position. Cause I mean, if you get behind, how can we trust this defense at this point that this defense is going to hold up? at all and and get the game back in their control i just i don't trust it i just don't and i can't how would you after that last week how could i do that you know it just is it they blew that trust sky high and uh it's it's obviously imperative we already talked about how big this game is and the scope of josh heupel's time at tennessee but uh i ultimately i do think this the scales are in tennessee's favor but it's just not that easy it's not gonna be that easy no, it's it's definitely not. But hopefully, with some of the pressure off, they'll get back to being themselves. Uh, hopefully, well, man, let's let's predict this game. We're almost at hour thirty, and uh, to anybody watching, we're gonna give our predictions and then uh, throw throw your predictions over here, and uh, and we'll read them out and we'll get everybody's input about what they think is gonna happen in this game against Vandy this week and if Josh Heupel can finish off the the 10 and 2 season like we all hope that he does um so throw throw in your prediction in the comments wherever you may be watching and Zach and I will give ours and I'll throw it to you what's gonna happen well every game this year I've except for the South Carolina game I've went into it saying I'm not really sure what to expect from this game because we're still kind of learning how this Tennessee team operates and who they are Against South Carolina for the first time this year, I felt like Tennessee was going to blow them out. I was I was concerned a little bit about the environment in Columbia, but I, even with that, I still predicted them to win by 30-some points. So back to not sure what to expect. I just think Tennessee's got too much talent. I think with Jeremy Banks back, I think this team will be hungry. I think listening to them today, they know what's at stake. They, know, they want to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. They don't want to lose to Vanderbilt. They want to go out the right way. They want to honor Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think they'll show up to play. I think they'll be a lot better. I still think they'll give up some points. I think they'll win 41 to 27. 41 27? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Uh, and that's pretty much what I'm thinking. I think this this isn't Tennessee's favor enough. I think Joe Milton will have a good a good game. Throw for 250 and and probably run for 75, I'm gonna guess. And then I I think Jabari will have a nice game um maybe Jalen maybe I mean maybe Dylan Sampson I don't know uh we didn't see him almost at all in that South Carolina game although he did play uh, some so 
Um, I I think between all of them, Tennessee is able to do this. It is still Vanderbilt. Um, I I don't know how they beat I. I could totally imagine them beating Kentucky, and I watched a decent chunk of that game. But I, I like you, didn't really watch them beat Florida. I'm not sure exactly how they went. I think Florida made some mistakes, and Vandy capitalized. So, hey, all credit to them. Uh, but I think still at the end of the day, Tennessee, even after this game, is the number one offense in America statistically. And Joe Milton is taking taking that over. Tillman uh, looked like he may have tweaked something again at least uh you know just looked a little shaky in that game i wonder if they go back to hyatt at number one if brew mccoy plays we don't really know there's there's some questions on offense but i think even with all of that uh it's actually what nug says right here i do think Heibel runs the ball a lot in this game maybe 35 plus rush rush attempts i completely agree and i think they succeed in that i think it's going to be bombs over the top because milton is so good at that and a lot of runs so I think through that, I'm going to go 39-31, Tennessee. Ooh, okay. It'll be close. One score, um, a touchdown and a two-point conversion. But Tennessee pulls it out, and we, you know, we're, we're stressed, and we go, it shouldn't be this hard against Vandy, dang it. And then Tennessee wins. And they, they close out the 10-2 season, and um, – then Joe Milton can have time to get ready for that bowl game and hopefully a big win over a nice opponent. And we'll we'll break down the whole bowl thing if they can go ten and two this week. I, I think it's it's just too early. It's like we're we're not doing a radio show where we have to fill time. Like let's see if they they win ten games first, and then we can go from there because that's that's going to be the whole thing. If you lose this game, your bowl outlook changes completely. So enough of that speculation, and we'll go from there next week. Um. So let's see what everybody uh, said here in the comments. If they, you know, agree people, with us. I think people are forgetting a little bit about the history of some of this Vanderbilt robbery because they're talking about it's, it's awful keeping it that close against Vanderbilt. There was a lot of Philip Fulmer games that were pretty close against Vanderbilt. A lot oh, yeah. of 14 7, 17 10 type games when Peyton Manning was there. Uh, and even after Peyton was there, before they lost in 05, they played some close games. I think Ainge, that, or I think Ainge was hurt that year, but I think that was like a five-point game in 04 when they won 10 games. So the series, it, it's an, it's a robbery. Uh, it, they they get up for it, and, and sometimes yeah. it's a close game, and that's not a bad thing. And it's not anything bad about Tennessee. It's just Vanderbilt showed up to play. You just you don't want to you don't want this to end with Vandy doing the most polite field rush of all time like they did last week, <laughs> where they no. w- literally walked down the steps and walked slowly onto the field um, in the most Vanderbilt fashion possible. I can't believe they rushed the field after beating that South Carolina rushed the field after beating Tennessee. A team that was that they've, weird. They've beat pretty consistently in Columbia. Uh, it almost feels like they're doing it for recruiting purposes. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want this to sound the way it's going to sound, but I feel like after Tennessee did it against Alabama, it got so much attention that other people were just kind of like, yeah, we need something like that too. It looked really great. That that environment was insane in Neyland. And yeah, it is good for recruiting. So Yeah, it was a good environment in Williams-Brice. You know, hey. too. That looked, I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan, that's as good as it gets there for you. I mean, and mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a great environment and we'll probably play well for them in recruiting. Yeah, I'm sure. So... Uh, Matthew says 56, 24, Tennessee Nug says Tennessee wins. I won't predict a score. Could be by 50. Could be by one. Uh, Mr. Probably Jones. Very accurate. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same. I, I feel the same way. It, it really could be either one of those. Mr. Jones says 48-17 Vols. Dylan says, I've got UT winning by 10 plus. Michael says Tennessee 42, Vandy 27. Ed says 45, 10, Vandy. He's a Vandy fan, maybe, in the comments there. Uh, and 65 to 35, Tennessee, because we are pissed and ready to win. I hope so. I really, really hope so. So thanks to everybody for watching, for commenting, for hanging out, uh, and and for just uh, supporting the show, because it, it really... This whole season, this is the the last week before the bowl game. Obviously, this the show doesn't end this week. We'll keep going every week, but um, this season's been unbelievable with with this show. You guys have absolutely blown it up. It's bigger than I probably ever thought it would be, frankly. And I owe all of that to everybody that's watching right now. You're way too cool, way too kind to us. You guys are amazing, um, and thank you. So I'll say that, and then I'll oh, and I'll read SEC football. He says sixty five to ten falls from. From your keyboard to God's ears, let's uh, let's have that be the outcome this weekend. May don't let's just not even sweat it. Just beat him down. That would be nice. Um, that's it. Thank you for watching, Zach. Any anything else for the good folks at home before we bounce? No, that's that should about cover. Let's just let's see Tennessee made it four in a row against Vanderbilt. Shouldn't be uh, numbers should be higher than that. Let's not let it get interrupted by a random yeah. Vanderbilt win. Please, 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 please. Need this 10-win season for my soul Ugh, after this week. Just bleh. don't do not do it to me. Just don't. Um, that's it. Thanks to everybody for watching. We may we may have more later this week. We haven't really decided yet. Could be a game-time decision. But, uh, you know, keep your eyes on the A to Z Sports YouTube channel, and, and we'll see if we post anything else this week. And outside of that, thanks again for watching, and we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later.